Hey folks, James Hilliard back with another Connection Tech Experience podcast today. Retail tech in our spotlight with a focus on the quick service restaurant space, but definitely our chat applicable to other retail outlets. On the tech front, we're going to share some of the latest around touch screen point of sale devices, touch screen self-service kiosks. We'll talk touch screen mobile devices as well. On the business front, we plan to discuss at a high level some of the changes that QSRs are experiencing in terms of customer demand and behavior, also employment issues, and much more. Joining me, Connection Retail Strategy Director Brian Gallagher, and our special guest is Luke Wilwording. He is the Senior Director of North America Field Sales for ELO. ELO has this, five decades as a leader in the touchscreen space, 25 million worldwide installs, and growing at a rate of about 21 per second from what I'm told. And I'm betting you have touched on one of their screens probably in the last week, if not in the last day. Right now, time to touch on this episode of Tech Experience. Let's get to it. All right, folks. Before we get into talking more about some of the ELO products, just kind of the range of offerings they have, and we're going to spend a little bit of time too, is uh, why Connection and ELO together. But what I want to do, Brian, is I want to have you start us. Take us in that way back machine. And by way back, I mean, you know, beginning of 2020. And give me an idea, State of the Union, of where were a lot of the QSR, these quick service restaurants, what was their mentality? What were they thinking about? What were they planning in 2020 in terms of kind of innovation and growth around the idea of their point of sale machines, of their self-service machines? Where were we? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think this holds true for a lot of retailers, but especially QSR, where Everyone was looking at what they could do from self-service to traditional POS and point of sale uh, for what it meant to their business, right? Uh, looking internally, if you will. Yeah, and, you know, you'd see a self-service if they thought they could improve on employee productivity, right, as an example, um, or get people through a line faster. Yeah, but it was all sort of this internal mechanism uh, that, that people were thinking about because it was hard to understand what other value that we hadn't seen was was, was going to be uh, there for the customer. And it seemed like there was a fair amount from the conversations I had during that time. There was still some, Luke, kicking the tires. Okay, we've seen some innovations coming out. We're, we're understanding that the technology is getting better. But as Brian said, we're only looking at it kind of internally, maybe some cost savings, maybe what we can do to get a little more productivity from these employees. What else did you see? Where were we in 2020? I'd say that 2020 was the year of the pilot. There was a lot of different innovations that were coming about in terms of curbside, in terms of delivery, in terms of different ways that... QSR would interact with their customers. People were aware that these were important. They were testing, they were evaluating. They were, as Brian said, understanding sort of the, uh, the dynamics and the benefits to the organization. But these weren't top three strategies for going forward. And I think that's one of the big things. People were looking for that catalyst. What would really drive us to go on a 3000 store chain to do curbside, to put in stands, to disrupt concrete, to go and, and take these big steps to, to create change and true innovation. We've been talking about a lot of these things for years. Uh, self-order, 
the idea of uh, different ways of interacting through drive-through, kitchen automation, all these things were, were discussed for, for, for years. Uh, and 2020 was a, a little bit of, no different. Uh, and then it all changed. <laughs> and then it all changed. And uh, I'm going to jump over to Microsoft Retail VP, Shelly Branston. And she recently was at a, uh, I believe, a trade conference and, and, and shared this quote. And, and I thought it was perfect for this conversation. She said, basically, Luke, to where you're, you're leading us, COVID-19 has been the new chief innovation officer. And that was then the catalyst. It was the thing that said, hey, guess what retail, whatever retail you're in, QSR, big box, electronics, whatever, here's your change. You better jump on this change because everything has changed. And um, so, so let's talk a little bit now, mid 2020, Luke, starting with you, how did you start seeing the conversation more from, well, we're trying to figure it out. Like we got to do something. What, what were you seeing middle of the year? And so middle of the year, many were affected. Let's say some, some stores, restaurants were closed. Dine-in was closed. uh, Drive-throughs were still open. So you found that certain businesses became incredible innovators in a very short time frame. They enhanced pickup capabilities. They adopted uh, delivery. They went through and modified ways of uh, servicing their customers in a very short order because there was a level of urgency. It was, do we survive or not at that point? Because uh, based on government requirements, based on uh, local municipalities, there was different ways that they could operate. And so we saw massive amount of innovation and ideation of what they were going to do and terms of their businesses and where they're going to take things. And some of this stuff was, we're talking uh, self-order kiosk in, in, an, in an area with some basic signage saying, hey, we, we're still open. We want your business. We just can't have you inside. Uh, but again, I think you saw some really good thought, innovation, uh, very quick movers in, in some situations. And uh, again, it had been going on and talked about for years, but man, they went shovel ready immediately and took action. And it was impressive seeing some of these uh, operators operate. And and that's a story that I've seen throughout the technology space, regardless of what tech you're talking about. There was a lot of thinking about what could we do? What could we do? And those that had been having those planning conversations and had been exploring, uh, then when the time to move came, they finally had a reason to jump and they jumped and and, and we did see a lot of successes. Brian, anything to add there in terms of how the conversation changed? Maybe it's how our customers were coming to you and the retail team and saying, look, we need to implement because we are able to be open, but we don't have the tools now to service our customers at these QSRs. So what do you have for us and, and how can we you know, still uh, stay in business since we have an, a, a window here, an opening that maybe we can, but we need some tech support? Yeah. I mean, as Luke said, it was really interesting sort of at that mid-year, right? That sort of April through June or July, everyone was running to implement uh, and whatever technology we could get that would fill a hole. What really became interesting to me was sort of that June through October period where now that these technologies were being implemented by various different uh, uh, retailers in different ways, right, whether it was drive-through or curbside or self-ordering, 
the retailers were suddenly able to see what the value of those new technologies were to the customer, right? They did it early because they had no other way to stay in business if they didn't get some kind of revenue. Didn't know how much, right? But, you know, $10 is better than $0. So they implemented. But the value and the learning that they they got out of that that showed what the value of these technologies and what the return would look like yeah, has really accelerated what I think, you know, we started to see then later in 2020 uh, and, and retailers are trying to implement uh, for the long haul now that they know what those ROIs are actually going to look like. It's, it's a fun time right now. Luke, we're going to start branching into some of the opportunities for companies now and talk about some of the current challenges they still have and, and what ELO has there to help uh, them. But let me ask you this. Do you recall, do you have stats on um, the first types of things you were starting to maybe run low on inventory on at ELO because so many people were saying, hey, Luke, need something. What, what was that in-demand thing originally and has that stayed over the last then 18 months? So ELO's been in business for over 50 years as a leader in interactive technology. And our displays, our touch displays are by far the world's best from a quality uh, capability. And that was some, uh, I would say, one of the first things that started flying off the shelf. People understood that there's a need for more interactivity. We might not have employees uh, in certain situations for self-order, self-checkout uh, across retail and QSR. And so we found a, a bit of a run on displays. And I think that was a, a global trend as we've looked at people that were being sent home. They're no longer in the office. They were they were buying displays left and right. So I would just ask the question, the first run was, was on our display technology. Uh, the second run came about in, in terms, I would say, our compute products. And this goes into a little bit of uh, the broader picture, but as systems were being challenged in terms of delivery and drive-through and curbside, uh, the amount of pressure on the kitchen, the amount of ways uh, that QSRs had to interact with their customers changed the way that they use their systems in some cases. So it quickly said, we've got to implement and upgrade our stack. We've got to look at new tech. And so that new tech just started to drive adoption of our Android portfolio, our Intel portfolio. And so the second wave was uh, our compute products flying off the shelf. And in, and back to, you know, kind of what Brian had brought up, Luke, was early and pre-2020 COVID landing on us, there was a lot of internal look. How can these technologies help us as a business? But it did seem there was a shift that, hey, wait, can these help the customers out there and really turn to that customer focus? And I can recall... A few places. I'm thinking of a bread and soup place that I might visit on a occasion. And I had seen some of these kiosk things and I just walked right on by. I'm a talker. So I would go and you know order up and do. And lo and behold, look at that line behind the kiosk, right? It was no longer gathering dust. Lots of people were utilizing that. And then it was just going quicker. And the order wasn't getting mistaken because those onions were included or not included because I could touch and do those and, and things like that. And so um, it, it seems like that focus on the customer once that really settled in, um, has that been an industry-wide acceptance now that we're doing this for the customer? And obviously, if we do it for them, that's going to help our business. Well, a lot of it com comes down to convenience. So when you look at uh, a line at any QSR or restaurant, 
they want to skip the line. They, they would rather move more quickly through uh, an ordering process, which is in general pretty simple. But to Brian's point earlier, they, they've quickly found the benefits, the upsell. Uh, people were ordering for more of the broader menu. But all in all, customers through COVID were retrained to the benefits that convenience offered. And they're starting to demand that type of convenience. So when I walk into whatever restaurant it might be, and I see a, a line for someone or no one's manning the checkout or the ordering area, and I've got a couple beautiful kiosks with great graphics of food and options, it's becoming more natural just to, to leverage those options. And then furthermore, it's a generational thing as well. Many people have been trained that I don't really want to talk to the person. I'd rather go through this experience myself because when I'm queued in the line going to order food, I, I'm nervous. Is it option one? Do I supersize? What do I do? I can take my time, explore the menu and order what I want uh, in, in my own experience, let's say, through that convenient option. But And that's just one example of, of many, let's say. Well, and I'll tell you, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> this I'm bringing up because I'll make fun of myself. Um, it's harder for me to see those menus behind the counters now. I mean, I have my, my license now says I need to wear glasses when I drive. And so when I'm up at a kiosk, I really can't. I'm not squinting. I'm not worried. What is that? Is that thing over there? Right. It's And, and it did make me feel more comfortable. I was the guy that would bypass the kiosk because I do like people and I would go talk to them people. But, but all of a sudden now I'm like, no, this is more convenient for me. It's just easier. And I didn't realize that, but Brian, that's something that, you know, makes me feel comfortable. And I can imagine uh, those that have worse eyesight than me and people that want to take their time and not feel rushed. That's a convenience for them as well. And this is one of the things that I love about uh, the ELO partnership is that they cover all those aspects yeah, from that POS with, you know, an employee standing behind it to the self-serve to uh, the drive-through. Your point's spot on, James. Uh, I'd also make the point that we want the convenience in the moment, right? So there's a day when you walk into your chosen QSR and you want to go speak to that person, right? Maybe it's based on mood. Maybe it's based on what time you have available. There's other days where you don't. Right? and you want to go order yourself, that flexibility itself has value. I, I've seen a couple of studies and uh, yeah, the, the numbers range, but every study I've seen says someplace north of 40% of customers now walk away from a retailer permanently if they don't have the convenience that they desire as a customer. Right. So I may, you know, in the past, I may have chosen not to visit a certain QSR because they didn't have uh, a self-service option. Now, because I've learned what that value is to me as as a consumer, I may never go to that QSR again. There's enough other options that give me the conveniences and give me choices when I walk in the door. Yeah. I and mean, so to be able to cover all of that, uh, I think is really important for a retailer to think about. And James, I'll add one other piece to this. There's a labor equation here as well. So when you look at uh, busy times, let's say 11 to 1, which could be a, that lunchtime rush, depending on the QSR, you might have to staff two, three people, four people at a ordering area. When you look at the technology aspect, it scales 
seven days a week. They're always there. Those little digital soldiers are working for you. They're working for your business. Uh, and as wages change and fluctuate, you're probably going to use your staff for more strategic type initiatives where that ordering piece could be left to the technology aspect. And then have ambassadors that are driving that brand. I've, I've heard many stories of people saying, well, we don't want to lose touch with our customer. This is the opportunity to put the right people in front of your customer to assist with the ordering process rather than just leaving them out there alone with the tech, which certainly is an option. But I think there's a, there's a lot of new and emerging ways that technology is benefiting that overall process, building a better brand experience. And as Brian had mentioned, uh, accommodating our uh, customers through the process. Well, and you're bringing up the idea. And again, at a lot of QSRs, if you go in there, the whole crew is on the other side of the counter. They're not out there necessarily with uh, the the patrons, and 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 there obviously that's been changing a little bit. But um, I can remember right something wrong. I want to go back up. I cut to the front of the line to ask someone behind the counter, and you get all these looks from everyone else, like "What are you doing up here?" And so being able to free that up where those people could walk around a little bit. How is this? Did you know we have refills over here? Have you know those, those types of things that then add the personal touch, right? As as you're mentioning there, Luke. I also want to bring up the idea. Yeah, since you brought up the, the labor issue, uh, look, we closed down a lot of internal uh, restaurants. When we did open that back up, there was distancing. So I saw a lot more employees with, you know, a squeeze bottle and rags cleaning tables and maybe not taking orders. So if you have the kiosks, they're self-service. Now those orders can still be processed and you can be utilizing your uh, your staff in different manners when times require, like during the COVID time and, and those cleaning uh, rules that came in, right? That was something I'm sure you saw a big change in. For sure. Well, I'd also just comment that uh, contactless became a, a word that people started to socialize and how do we deal with contactless and what will be the preferences of customers in the future? And I kind of got a kick out of that. I'm like, you still opened the door. You still touched the counter. You still did dif different things. When I looked at contactless, I don't want to stand two feet in front of somebody else who's talking at me, working through something. I would rather have that technology experience where I can wipe and clean that screen if it's as my choice, let's say. But I, I feel strongly that the interactive experience does provide a very safe experience for customers and patrons, uh, even through that discussion, let's say. There's more the Delo offers than just touch screens to order food, right? We still have uh, the, the point of sale where people come uh, and do order with individuals behind the counter, but there are different ways that we might want to pay right? The, the tap cards, right? I didn't get my first one, uh, you know, that has the chip where you can just tap and, and move. I finally just got one. My kid, though, 17, he'd been using it, basically his first card. That was it. He'd never swiped and he had never inserted chip. He was always a tap and go, you know, type of guy. And all of your, uh, from what I've seen, a lot of the ELO products have those abilities or can be added on depending on what that restaurant wants to offer to their customers in terms of payment options, right? And how they interact there. And James, we talk about three pillars, we'll say, ELO Flex, ELO Code, and ELO Cloud. The ELO Flex capability enables our customers to buy a standard product and bolt on the payment module or option that they need that works with their gateway and payment provider. It enables them to add that NFC component. If they're using barcode scanning for loyalty, they can add the scanner to that. It gives them the flexibility to start day one 
with a choice for point of sale or self-order or BOPUS or a kitchen automation aspect, time clock, you name it. And we can take a broader journey around how we're helping QSRs with our broader unified architecture. But all in all, it's the building blocks. It's the Lego set of ELO uh, through that flexibility. So, and then we move into our code options. We're finding that uh, people want more open source. They want more API. They want to bolt on a, uh, a pickup option. They want to bolt on a delivery option. They need that flexibility. And we provide a very robust SDK as well as integration options within our platform uh, that assists on the code side. Many are taking development into their own hands, whether it's basic integration or if it's writing some subset of code that really will help move their business forward. Uh, and then the last piece is the cloud. Many of our devices are cloud connected, which gives them better manageability, better insights, better uh, options, let's say, to manage a fleet uh, of remote digital workers, let's call it. Uh, but to answer that question, it's, it's really the flexibility of, of our platform and our range and breadth that enables a QSR to pick one hardware manufacturer and meet all of these very unique and differentiated needs. Can you talk for a moment, Luke, about the kind of management of it? Because as we get more automated, as we get more technology in these QSR locations, there's some more complexity. And it, what's it like to manage those? Do the, do the individual stores, uh, outlets need to have someone on site that's somewhat trained to troubleshoot and deal with these? Is it all managed more back at a, a corporate location? I'm then thinking about franchisees. That's a whole different model, though, that could be utilized. And so what, what's it like in terms of managing these systems to make sure they're up? Because if, if we just have the self-service, say, and those go down, well, that's bad news for a company. So how do we manage that? How do we keep these systems up and going? Well, Elo solved this through a platform called EloView, which enables our Android devices to be cloud connected, cloud managed uh, throughout the globe, really. And the security side is always a, a top of mind for a, a CTO, a CIO. And so security was at the heart and core of this, being able to disable USB ports, to understand if devices are up and running or not, to be able to push content. And we started in a foundation of fixed devices. We've now added mobile into our fleet. Uh, so you mentioned that that tap to pay, our M50 mobile product offers that for a curbside or line busting other opportunities. But they're all cloud connected devices, which again, from a single location, you can now understand the health of your fleet as well as simply drag and drop and push out software updates application updates to ensure that you're operating at a consistent level across, again, uh, varied locations, which is extremely powerful. Those mobile POS devices, are those Wi-Fi enabled? Are they LTE as well, since they're going outside the doors potentially of those restaurants and, and there's it could be you know potential connectivity issues? How, how are those uh, connecting to and, and keeping that outside employee connected back into the store? We find that our customers come in all shapes and sizes, so we offer both. Uh, so we do have a, a cellular option as well as a Wi-Fi option. Certainly, the cellular will do the Wi-Fi, of course, but we do uh, both. And certainly, the line busting, uh, some of the capability of uh, our devices are dockable. So we'll call it a, a DS10 or that device you can dock and create a point-of-sale workstation, and if you had 
several different ordering stations, I could pick that device up and start doing line busting with that same device, providing greater flexibility. But if you wanted to walk outside the four walls and not deal with the complexity of uh, directed antennas, et cetera, you can then use that cellular option and take that device on the road, let's say. And Brian, I'm assuming that's where some of our conversations at Connection have been helping customers out there as they try and, and, and figure it out. Well, you know, hey, look, we got good connectivity in our store, but outside we don't. So what do we look for? What do we use? Uh, you know, and, and what impact would more of these point of sale devices, these self-service machines, if we adopt those, what impact does that have on our greater network and our needs on kind of the back of the house infrastructure? And I'm assuming those are conversations that you've had with a lot of folks to explore that angle. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to uh, security practice and what we call network optimization, uh, those are, are two of the biggest areas that we are seeing retailers uh, of all shapes and sizes need help with. Uh, we've gone from single stacks with limited APs, and maybe I have a failover, maybe I don't. Yeah, but now I've got all these different devices and all these different touch points that, quite honestly, in many cases, need to communicate to each other, uh, but need to be prioritized, need to manage available bandwidth. And all of those types of solutions uh, are critical once you choose the right product. That's great, right? Am I going to have a mix of mobile and self-serve and traditional POS? Great. How do I have all that running with no glitches so that every customer, every employee is getting what they need at the right time in the place they need it, curbside or otherwise? Yeah. So we do a lot of work to make sure that not only are we getting the right products out there, we're doing it in a way where you're going to get the best optimized productivity out of those products. Luke, I want to go back to one of the ideas. And, and we had said before 2020 began, some of those that were looking at these technologies were looking at the kind of internal benefit. And then Brian brought up, hey, look, we needed to really then focus on the customer. And a lot of people did. But that doesn't mean that we don't look at the internal needs as well. And I want to go back to something, get a little more information that you brought up about like the employees uh, logging in and out, I guess, time carding, things like that. What's available there to make that operation smoother for these QSRs to move those employees in and out as best as possible and to keep you know shift changes good and everything? What do you have on that front? So, James, through COVID, we found that, like you've mentioned earlier, uh, it created inspiration for data. People started re-looking at their data. They started looking at optimization. They started this internal focus as well as external, offering their customers convenience. But they had to then optimize internally. And so when we start looking at kitchen automation, uh, ingredients, recipe viewing, time clocks. You start looking at, we call it KDS or KMS, kitchen management systems, kitchen display systems. All these different pieces are, are being upgraded and in some cases being added to further optimize for the employee. How can I take a, a, an employee where we might be seeing higher turnover? We might see uh, situations in the labor market that create difficulty. I need to be able to bring an employee in and have a very intuitive way to clock them in show them how to operate a machine or food prep or make food. And so interactive 
touch is very intuitive. I could uh, potentially create an environment where I can train someone on the job uh, through the technology versus using additional labor through that process. So you start looking at all the different ways, and I want to go too deep because there's some really unique things that some of these customers are, are now doing. But that interaction, that interactivity enables what used to be just a static monitor with some drive-through stats and some order information now can be this portal into training, into uh, food prep. It can be a, uh, a, a, a device that can offer so much more to employees and what they need to be successful, let's say. I worked in the uh, grocery world coming out of high school through my college years. And uh, needless to say, not a whole lot of tech back then. I'm not going to tell you all how old I am, but there wasn't a whole lot going on. Um, what I recall was there were a few of us, as some things did start getting more uh, technologically advanced, there were a few of us that kind of really got it. And so every time some other employee had a problem with their point of sale machine or time card, you know, machine, something, a few of us could, we'd stop what we were doing. We'd go over and I did, and we get people on the way. I don't see that as much. And it's just something that came to my mind, Luke, as you were saying, just the ease of use of touch and all that. And I honestly am trying to rack my brain here on, on the recent interactions, like last three months. And I don't remember someone else being called over to work this machine that's in front of them anymore. That, that has got to be a change out there that maybe others will think, oh yeah, talk to me just a, a bit about that, about that ease of use, maybe the feedback that you hear, Luke, once these uh, machines get in the hands of employees, how easy it is and like, hey, I kind of like my job now or I can focus on some other things, not be derailed by this. Well, I'd, I'd say that many are mobile first. And so what does that mean? Uh, mobile first means that we understand what customers are using in their pocket. Uh, and we want to take some of that technology into the store environments because if they can use their phone, they can use then applications for time clocks, for kitchen and food prep, for uh, education and other ways. And so that UI UX over the last decade has come up uh, in a way that it just creates into intuitive applications for people to leverage. Uh, I'd also kind of say, how much time do you spend troubleshooting your phone? And generally it's not a lot. You're not rebooting your phone all the time. You shouldn't be at least. Uh, and that's where we look at this migration to Android and some of the, the technology that ELO over the last seven plus years have has really perfected. Uh, the amount of complication, let's say, in a solid state device versus what was previously leveraged is just, it's been far reduced. You're not troubleshooting anymore in store. Uh, you're working through, again, solid state devices that have better, more intuitive applications built on current tech stacks which again, I, I know is a game changer for many. And that touch experience is more intuitive. You're not trying to dig through a menu, click, click, click. Uh, they're bigger buttons. It's, it's, uh, it's like, why could my two-year-old figure out how to use a phone app in minutes? It's the same thing for employees now. If you've got a well-written intuitive app, just the training and education has been far reduced. And also going to, when you look at the deployment side, and Brian's an expert at this, certainly connection, but with zero touch enrollment, with OEM config capabilities, with this broader way of, you know, again, retail and, and hospitality alike have in some cases deployed millions and millions of mobile devices. We're taking that efficiency 
for fixed devices in store, reducing complexity, reducing the support headache. And those new types of apps, again, are simplifying that overall engagement with employees and the amount of time to spin up and be productive in those environments. I think it's it's really critical uh, to understand that an employee in the mix, right? Uh, as a retailer, we always have said uh, our best employees are people who are or would be our best customers, right? So if we're talking about intuitive technologies, uh, different uh, uh, conveniences, different interactions uh, for customers, you have to think about it for the employee if, if, if you want them to be bought in. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say, you know, on the, the, the labor uh, crunch that's going on today across all industries, but certainly in retail, think about the training time, right? How quick do I learn if it's an intuitive learning process? Or in some cases, I don't have to learn, right? Because the buttons will walk me right through it uh, versus uh, their traditional learning process where you sat at a computer or you got a book um, and you tried to learn something and then go put it into practice. So um, the fact that we look at these both from the consumer side and the employee side holistically is critical to the success of these deployments for sure. And back to my commentary on I don't see a, a manager or another employee going to help another employee with a point of ser- uh, sale device. I also don't see employees having to come out from the back and mess around with these kiosks because we as the consumers, we just get it. And that's testament, Luke, to what you were saying about the, the ease of use. I mean, they just have become that simple, even though obviously these are complex machines and and, and doing a lot for us. Um, Guys, great conversation, folks. There's a lot more for you to explore, individual, uh, you know, pieces and gear from ELO. And we've got it all wrapped up in a nice place for you. So if you head to connection.com slash ELO, E-L-O, that's going to drop you right on page and you can get all the information you could ever want about uh, ELO products and what is available out there. And then, of course, as, as the guys were saying, Y'all were having conversations about what if and what technologies and what could we we be doing. And now we hope that, you know, those conversations have continued. And for those of you that are a point of saying we're going to make that leap now, it's that, you know, reach out to us and talk to us and talk to Brian and team uh, on the retail side that can give you more information. In fact, I'm going to do something here and he's either going to love me or hate me, but I'm going to give out Brian's uh, email address. I know he's going to love me because we've done this before and he's fine with it out there. So it's brian.com. Gallagher at connection.com. There are two G's, two L's, two A's, and H-E-R in there. Brian.Gallagher at connection.com. So you can reach out directly to him and and continue a conversation. Of course, the relationship with Elo, he can pull in uh, folks from Luke's team and really give you more information out there. Luke, ever so briefly, let me do that. I just, you know, gave out uh, Brian's uh, email address there. What does an engagement look like when when, when a, a restaurant says, you know what, this is where we want to go. We want to explore this. We, you know, we've been having these conversations. Maybe they've even been having conversations with connection. And, and so now they've got a real good idea, a pathway that they see forward. What's the engagement look like when they start talking with the ELO folks, right? Is uh, Give me an idea of what that, that, that experience might look like for a customer. So we have tenured sales leaders that are out in the field that work with connection on a daily basis. And in partnership, we bring 50 plus years of knowledge 
uh, and experience. So when you look at how to implement curbside, you look at how to implement uh, kitchen automation, you look at smart fryers, you look at different things that might be top of mind. ELO, through its 25 plus million installations globally, have seen a lot and worked with a lot and can provide a path to different ideas and conceptualization that I think could be valuable. So we always enjoy these just early touch points to say, hey, what's possible? What have we seen? What could we potentially do? Uh, and certainly on the software side, we work with hundreds of different software providers that also bring through our hardware immense capabilities. And again, this tribal understanding and knowledge that uh, we bring, we're eager to share. Last thing I want to wrap up on, maybe give you each 30 seconds. Um, what's an innovation? What's a change that you might expect in the next coming uh, months to year loop within the QSR space uh, that, that you know, you're looking at and you're anticipating you might be, you know, helping with those restaurants uh, in the coming months? Yeah, I joke and say the robots are coming. The robots are coming. But uh, I don't think people are going to be replaced by robots, but I do feel that automation is going to be a, a top discussion point. And as we look at automation, artificial intelligence, systems are becoming more intelligent. People are optimizing these environments. So when you look at uh, flawless portioning, real-time notifications, uh, when should I change my fryer grease, the pop-ups, the tribal knowledge that employees used to have to, to operate these kitchens all of that tribal knowledge is being worked into messaging, into systems that are going to create automation. How do I know if there's a, you know, I'm from, I lived in Chicago for a while. There's a Cubs game. How many fries should I have, you know, available to me? How do I prep for those food orderings week, weeks in advance? But that's some of the AI that I think will benefit many here uh, in, in, in the near future or, and, or they're already considering today. So, uh, it also helps with some of the labor issues as we look at some of that optimization, optimization. And it plays into that touch. It plays into this hardware strategy of how I'm going to implement some of that automation. And this is where connection and ELO together shine in terms of the broader ecosystem and, and our knowledge and capability. Brian, what conversations do you anticipate are going to be kind of top of mind in the next six months or so? We talk a lot about the idea of a smart store, uh, and Luke touched on it. Uh, it's including things like AI um, and IoT devices. Um, I think those are going to be uh, two of the biggest from both a productivity standpoint and a knowledge standpoint, right? Understanding uh, what is often purchased with uh, when you order the double versus when you order the single, right? Uh, traditionally, we could make suggestions, yeah, but we program those suggestions as humans. Well, humans can only think in a linear way. Uh, these AI engines that think about how different things tie together and how uh, a, a camera, an IoT device, right, might be able to identify, is it uh, a minivan versus a sports car that's coming through and change how we're, engaging with those customers, those are going to be the game changers to me. Uh, so think smart store, think about how uh, we do nonlinear thinking. And uh, I think retailers will, will get ahead. 
Guys, Brian, appreciate the time and the commentary. Luke, I want to thank you for sharing observations and the ELO story. Folks, again, connection.com slash ELO for more information. Lots on that page, but I want you also to scroll down to the bottom. There's a simple form. You can fill that out to reach out and connect with us. And as always, please like, share, and subscribe to Tech Experience on your favorite podcast platform. With that, we'll wrap things up. I'm James Hilliard. Thanks again for tuning in and listening. Be well, and we do look forward to talking to you all down the road.